All right, welcome to the 11th episode of Super High Sci-Fi. We are now officially into double digits, and as a bonus for our journey into double digits, we managed to unfreeze Sam from Carbonite, and we've gotten him back. Unfortunately, he's still in New Jersey, so he might have been better off frozen in Carbonite. <laughs> Sam, what did Jabba make you do? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. To let it. you go. <laughs> did he stick his tongue up your ass? It's a pretty big tongue. Uh, I mean... The debate, I guess, really would be between which would be worse, the tail or the tongue. Tongue. It's, yeah, it's the, the tongue. I, I don't know. I don't know. His, his tail's pretty long, too. you got to think about that. I don't know. He's kind of like a big, ugly snuffleupagus. So. Yeah, that is a real catch-22. But, uh, you know, aside from getting fucked in the ass by Jabba with his tongue and or tail, uh, there's some interesting news that's come out in the past week. I think the Sammy brought this to my attention. This is something to start with the um, the SYFY channel, yes. Sci-Fi, Sci-Fi, formerly known as SCI dash FI channel. Yep. Um, now it's Siffy. Siffy, yeah. yeah. Formerly known as Siffy. Yep. That it eventually changed their name to Sci-Fi for whatever reason to try and be more mainstream, even though they're still the Sci-Fi channel, but. They had gotten uh, wrestling. They had been showing wrestling for the past couple years in an effort to draw viewers and whatnot. But um, I got word that, I, well, I read that um, they've actually lost wrestling content now. It's going to be going back to USA. <laughs> so it's kind of a plus because that means there'll be more space for actual science fiction programming. But as was also pointed out in the article that I read, it's it might be a bit of a catch catch twenty two because you have. You had before that, you know, it's it's great that's going away because there will be more science fiction. But at the same time, it kind of might have helped pay the bills and whatnot because unless, you know, they get some better content soon. I mean, they have the show Helix, which was right. kind, of, kind of like zombie stuff. This late, I used to watch it, but this latest season kind of lost me. But they don't have as anything that I really guess really draws the audience members or the viewers too highly anymore. And wrestling was one of those fill-ins, but... Hopefully they will, with some new programming that I guess we're going to get into, uh, they will attract some more of the science fiction faithful. Yeah, I wonder how much money wrestling actually brought in for them because uh, that's WWE is extremely popular, has a very wide, wide viewing audience. Yeah. And a very loyal viewing audience too. So I have to imagine that was a lot of uh, ad revenue for sci-fi. Yeah, it brought them in a lot of money. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I guess we'll have to find out, but... Like Sam said, I'm not sure that uh, without that the the junk food money, if you will, they're going to be able to provide us with the same level of original, you know, good stuff. Yeah, uh, you guys, you guys didn't consider uh, SmackDown to be science fiction. <laughs> I mean, the writing certainly qualifies as science fiction on that show. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not sure it's uh, sci-fi in the way that the the Sci-Fi Channel had originally kind of tried to bring sci-fi onto television. Yeah, I remember when they first started doing that, bringing the wrestling over. Like, I think, because uh, SmackDown, didn't it used to be on UPN when that was still a channel? Yeah. Yeah. UPN, and then, yeah. Now, think, it's, now it's like My9 or whatever. Yeah. And I think when they, they started doing wrestling on sci-fi, it was uh, ECW. Mm, yeah. It was like the, the third WWE brand. And then they killed ECW like a couple years ago or something, and they brought SmackDown over. Yeah, to replace it, which I, I don't know. I just never thought it belonged on Sci-Fi. I think it's a good thing, but yeah, they're probably going to lose a lot of money. I yep. hope they just don't replace it with some 
poorly constructed reality show, you know, like they were doing a couple years ago. Yeah, they had all those weird freaking reality shows like where you're at like – I remember there was one where there was like people who were almost harkening back to characters like out of um, Legends of the Hidden Temple, the Temple Guards. They're like these people that have to go after other contestants in this game or whatever and it was just – it just got really weird. There are a whole bunch of stupid reality shows that they started doing. Or like um, they jumped on the cooking bandwagon and stuff and they had one of these guys from Top Chef and he, they did his like his molecular gastronomy kitchen, which was really just a show about his catering service. And so yeah, yeah. he did that. Uh, Marcel's Quantum yes. Kitchen. Yeah. yeah that that show sucked. I'm not surprised. I think I tried watching a little bit of it. I was like, this is just stupid. I don't know why Sci-Fi has this. I think they're actually, you know, this is probably, it seems like, because, you know, for those of you who don't know, Sci-Fi and USA are owned by the same parent company. Mm. So this is just, it's kind of one, you know, shifting just their stuff over to like the same channel, basically. It's just that USA, I guess, has a different demo. And yeah, like Law and Order. Right, yeah, yeah. It's like USA is basically the Law and Order SVU channel. Yep. <laughs> yeah, everything every day is like a marathon of that on there. Yep. And uh, I think that wrestling going over to USA—that's kind of where it belongs because I think WWE Raw has always been on there, or it yep. has been for a really long time. Wrestling not being there, I think, will give Sci-Fi a chance to build out their lineup again. I think this is a really strategic move by the sci-fi people because a while ago they said they they had gotten the message from fans that they were going to move away from the reality-style programming, and they killed, to their credit, a lot of those really, really bad reality shows yeah. that were on there. Like Marcel's Quantum Kitchen, Like you're only going to find that on reruns up in like you know the 600-tier level uh, cable channels now because they know it sucked. And like they killed uh, that dumbass show Total Blackout. Yes. Hosted by Urkel. Yeah, that that went and I'm trying to think what else they they killed a lot of stuff that was really bad. And the things that they kept though were very relevant to sci-fi um in terms of the reality shows. Like I like Face Off mm. and I really like Jim Henson's uh Creature Shop Challenge because those two things They're they related are, at least to sci-fi. Right. They're related to sci-fi. They're not about you know, kitschy drama and stuff like that. It's more about showcasing the talents of the artists who bring sci-fi things to life. Yeah. So I, I get that. And, uh, you know, they have more scripted shows now. I, I'm a little disappointed they're not going to do uh, a full series order for Ascension. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Is that not – I've been waiting to hear if that was going to go ahead or not. Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not doing it. Uh, they said at this time they have no plans to expand on the story of Ascension, mm. which a lot of people had mixed reactions to that. I actually kind of liked it. I thought it was uh, It was pretty, an interesting idea. Yeah, they took a risk. And yeah. for some people it didn't pay off. And I heard from a lot of people that they actually liked it. Uh, I liked it. Yeah, I thought it wasn't bad. It was an interesting idea. Yeah, a lot of people were pissed off that they did the big reveal at the end of the first night, which was that they're not actually on a spaceship, you know, and I'm hopefully not spoiling this for anybody, because if you haven't seen it by now, you should have. Uh, all oh. the people on the spaceship, they're not actually on a spaceship. It's in a government laboratory simulation. It's been going on since the 60s. Right. And I guess the experiment is 
designed to track the evolution of these people who have been cooped up in this spaceship simulation for 60 years or whatever. Um, but they decide not to go forward that. But there's a lot of other good shows on sci-fi right now, um, like the 12 Monkeys uh, revival is pretty good. Uh, Helix, you mentioned. I like Helix a lot, too, and I need to catch up on it. Mm. Yeah, well, that's that's too bad, though, that they're, that they're not going ahead with it. I, I won't lie. I like the show, but I was a little disappointed when they took us out of it, and they're like, oh, actually, it's a little, it's a lab experiment, because I thought it would would have been a cool idea. Well, I mean, you got to put an M. Night Shyamalan in there somewhere. Might as well get it out of the way. Yeah. I, I think people would have been a lot more pissed off if it had gotten to, like, the last episode in the miniseries, and it was, like, the end of it was the... Reveal. You know, the aliens are allergic to water moment, where it's just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, actually, we're going to zoom out, and it's a monitor watching them with a security camera. It's really a government lab. You know, Personally, the, I would have turned it off at that point. The thing that pissed this. me off, though, was it's almost like, I think we've talked about this in past episodes, it's almost like a tease as to what sci-fi used to be, which was like some space operas, people going in ships, and it's like, oh, it's going to be like that. That's what this show is. But no, actually, it's not. It's really just like an Earth-based thing. Well, Sam, have I got good news for you then? Yeah, I know. I'm happy happy about this. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are familiar with the Dark Matter comic book series, it's pretty recent. And uh, Sci-Fi apparently thought it was uh, so good that they have adapted it into a 13-episode you know, season run, and they're going to put it up on Sci-Fi. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Dark Matter... Uh, it's. I would. I'm guessing it's going to be an ensemble show. There are uh, six people who wake up on like this uh, spaceship that's got a pre-programmed destination, and they don't know why they're there, and they kind of have no memory of like who, you know, what what reason they're on the spaceship, where it's going, so forth. And then it lands at, um, you know, the the Paragus mining facility, right? And they find out that one of them is a Jedi. No, I'm just kidding. That was the plot to uh, the Sith Lords. <laughs> Uh, they land on, I don't remember where it's going. I think it was some kind of industrial facility, maybe a mining place. And then they start to slowly piece together, like what's going on. So I think it's pretty cool that sci-fi has put an order in for that. And one of the people who pitched it to sci-fi apparently is, uh, Joseph Malazi, Malozzi, yeah. who yeah. observant people will remember is frequently in the credits for Stargate SG one, Atlantis and universe as one of their writers. So I have to imagine that uh, this is going to be pretty strong, and it's, it's good to see sci-fi is back to doing sci-fi. You know, yeah. it kind of reminded me after I saw the trailer. It reminded me a little bit of uh, the last entry into the Stargate franchise a bit. Universe, uh, yeah, universe. It had that kind of feel to me a little bit. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting, and I mean, if you if, for those of you who are sci-fi devotees you'll remember the short-lived series uh firefly mm. many people have a great affection for it uh, this seems kind of in that same vein that there's a small group of people who are trapped in a ship although <laughs> they weren't trapped in firefly i mean fire what i don't personally like firefly uh-huh and it seemed like they were kind of trapped in that ship to me because where else are they gonna go yeah i mean they could have they weren't like you know they actually could operate it though. Oh yeah, I mean not. they they weren't locked in there, but like the the Firefly ship was kind of their only deal because two of them are on the run from the government. Mm. At least three of them have like death warrants. One of them is a hooker. 
And How can th- you not like Firefly? It just didn't do much for me. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't like that. I yeah, that was that was. I, I thought I, I knew you. I like that. It was a good show. All six episodes, right? And then he, and the short sighted people at Fox had to kill it. Yeah, and they apparently I read even they even filmed they even showed them out of order on TV. Like oh yeah, they did right. <laughs> we didn't we didn't have it's like oh here's gonna be the pilot. They're like no, we're gonna actually start with like episode two or three. And we're yeah. going to do that. It's like, that's just what, – what a surprise. I wish I could say I was surprised that Fox pulled something like that. But Man, how long ago was that? Years. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a like long time Around ago. the turn of the century. It's like 2001, I think. Yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was still so good. That's why I remember it. Yeah. All available on Netflix too, I believe still. I'm not sure if they've pulled that yet. But um, there, there was one thing though about Dark Matter that made me think of an older series – it's it's this was like one of Hulu's original series, like when Hulu was still doing original content. I think they maybe they still are, but I feel like Hulu is an attempt at what Netflix is, but kind of a hybrid with what cable television is. And uh, Hulu, uh, my biggest problem with Hulu is even if you buy Hulu Plus, you still have to watch the commercials, and that just that just kind of sucks. But they had an old series called Ark, and they had a couple episodes. Basically, it was two strange—I'm reading the synopsis now. Two strangers plucked from different decades find themselves on a massive spaceship deep in space with no information about how they got there. And they have to work together to figure out a way home. All they have left on the Hulu website now is just a trailer. They used to have, like—I think it was, like, three or four episodes. And it, so that kind of reminded me of this, although Dark Matter has a comic after it and everything. But it's— it's just interesting. It's a concept that has been used before where people arrive, you know, or wake up on a spaceship and have no clue what's going on and where they've been or where they came from. Uh, hopefully it's going to be good. I, I open to the possibility of it being horrible due to some sort of network meddling, but it yeah. sounds pretty interesting. Like I have no experience with um, the graphic novel of that. Is that what it was from? Uh, I think it's described as everything I've read is it's from a comic series, like a yeah. dark horse actual like book series, not a right. graphic novel. Okay, so a book series. I'm not familiar with this that book series, but just based on what you guys have said about uh, the show that they're putting on, it sounds pretty promising to me. I can see it being a great situational drama with you know people who don't know each other, don't know why they're there, have to cooperate or to survive, basically, right? That's what it seems like. They're just sort of thrust into the situation, and they're and the ship has the pre-programmed destination when they wake up, so they immediately have to deal with something. So it's kind of like Stargate. It's about as close to a revival of Stargate Universe as we're going to get right now. Yeah, Which, yeah. And I I didn't know this part of it. I just checked Wikipedia. Uh, the comic book series was kind of like the strain in that it was originally intended to be something filmed, but there was no interest, so it was put like onto a you know a physical medium. Huh. And the the creators of the comic are Joseph Malazzi and Paul Muley, the two people who are the creators of the TV show. So I guess they got their wish. And what's his face? Uh, Stargate Atlantis alum David Hewlett's going to be on it for four episodes. Oh, Rodney's going to be Rodney. On? Yeah, Rodney is going to be on for four episodes. Cool. Yeah, I know um, that was that that made me a little excited. Yeah. He also if if anyone follows his uh, YouTube channel, I haven't looked at it in a while, but he had a movie coming out with Jason Moma in it also being about uh, also sci-fi related, like a spaceship. And Jason Moma was like the personification of a ship or something. 
in it and people died or something something like that. I haven't looked at it a ton, but he had some kind of movie coming out. And the fact that Jason Moma did it for him is pretty big considering he's now like a bankable star. Yeah, I think uh, – right. We, we know him as Ronan basically, but yeah. now he's Conan and uh, Aquaman, Khal Drogo, Aquaman. right? Yeah, Game Cal, of Thrones. Cal Drogo, yeah, and yeah. it's going to be Aquaman. Yeah, Jason Momoa has done a lot of st- shit lately. He was great as Ronan in Stargate Atlantis. Got to throw that out there, though. Great, great character. The series definitely got better after he arrived. Yeah, Lieutenant Four was a little bitch. It was yeah. better when Ronan was there. Yeah, yeah, I liked him when they gave him the, the fucked up face, though, from being injected with the Wraith venom enzyme yeah yeah Yeah. and it made him go nuts that was kind of funny i mean it was it was he was better once he was the half enzyme lieutenant ford because when he comes back later with his enzyme club yeah that's but they never resolved his arc no i mean he's just yeah he could have died maybe he he supposedly died on that hive ship but we don't know no it's just so ambiguous I wonder I mean, if one of the books ever did it. I didn't read a whole lot of those of the books based on the series, but I wonder if they ever went back to them in that. I didn't read any of the books either. I, I don't know if they did, but it, I don't know. TV shows do that frequently where they leave something open and they never explore it again. I guess writers just like to have their options. Well, yeah. I think it's weird, though, that they they took the time to give um, – uh, what was his name? Uh, the – the Wraith guy that they turned into a human. Michael? Michael. Michael. Yeah. yeah. Connor, Connor Trenier f- from Enterprise. Yeah. Trip. 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 Yeah. Commander Trip Tucker. Right. Yeah. They, they gave him a complete arc to the very end. Like, we know he died. Yeah. But we don't know that one of the original characters on the, the original team of the show, what happened to him. <laughs> it seems just kind of ironic that they would spend so much time on Michael and not... I don't know. Maybe Ford wasn't a popular character, actually. Yeah, I don't think he was. He was kind just, of just like a Shepard clone. Not a clone, but, you know, he was just like another military guy. And he did. It's like, oh, you're going to be the weapons expert. That's going to be your differentiating thing. But it, anyway, I mean, I th- I think that all this stuff with sci fi, dark matter, um, The Expanse, that's another new show that they have coming out. I think with Jonathan Banks who you may know from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. He's going to be in that. Who is Jonathan Banks on Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, for people who don't know? Mike Ehrmantraut. Yes, he is creepy Mike Ehrmantraut. Right, and he's a great actor. I think he's going to do great in this Expanse series, which is kind of another space opera show. I don't know much about it. And then they also have another Bounty Hunter-style show coming out called Killjoys. And that there was a preview for that the other day. It looks pretty enjoyable. I'm looking forward to that, too. I think Sci-fi, I'm just happy that they're making sci-fi again because I think we're all old enough to remember the dark days, like 2010 to 2013, when all we were getting on there was crap reality shows and, yeah, crap reality shows and basically a bunch of cheesy sci-fi channel original movies. Yeah. And I love how they've gone in a completely different direction they're getting back to like where it used to be like circa you know 2003 2005 when you had a friday night lineup and such oh those were the good you had stargate stargate atlantis battlestar galactica right oh man yeah no dog soldiers yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean for seriously for for a couple years there that i think the only scripted show that was worth anything on uh sci-fi was haven 
that was it. Haven. And that's all you had. And then it was just a bunch of reality shows like Marcel's Quantum Kitchen and stuff. And uh, it was unbearable. And original movies. Right. And, you know, like Rock Monster. Or like The Windstorm. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. My personal favorite, Chupacabra Dark Seas. (laughs) My favorite is the, the Alien Invasion one. Hmm. Oh, with, with Bruce Campbell? Yeah, where Bruce Campbell's the astronaut who <laughs> lands back on Earth and finds the president hiding in a cabin. Yeah, and the insect people have taken yeah. over the Earth. And he, he kills a guy and says he died of a terminal case of stupidity or something. <laughs> there, yeah, was one, there was one with, um, what's his face, the guy from Farscape who took over um, O'Neill's role in Stargate. Ben Browder? Ben Browder. He had like, I tried to find it too. He did one of the original movies for sci-fi and it was about like, I feel like it was a camera or something and it could see like dead people in it or something. It was something stupid looking, but it looked entertaining at least. And of course, like it was never made available online, so I could never find it. Well, I mean, it just seemed like, you know, of course, we still have things like Sharknado on there, which yeah. I think they're just making those more as like an in joke rather than, you know, we're really serious about making B movies. But, you know, for you guys remember for a while there was like some of the shit they were turning out in those things was just unbearable like mosquito uh, the midnight yeah 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 the midnight meat train (laughs) i feel like it could be a great collection of terrible original sci-fi films like some kind of like a box set or something i mean midnight meat train aside from sounding like a porno is a really great watch if you're blazed because it makes no sense and the end of it is just like oh lizards control new york city and they make people, they make the butcher on the train kidnap people and cut them up to eat. And in return, the lizards give jewels and prosperity to the city. That's why it's the financial capital. Hmm. Yeah, just, somebody was like smoking crack and then sniffing paint thinner in the bathroom before they wrote that and ran back to the writer's room. I have a great idea. It's <laughs> lizards. Lizards are behind everything. Yeah, it just seemed like by the, you know, that period where they just kind of completely cut off scripted shows, they were also running out of plausible ideas for crappy B movies to make. I mean, back in the day, like, you know, I think they made a B movie for just about every kind of animal human hybrid or and natural disaster. Yeah. Like everything, tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, volcanoes. And then you had shit like uh, Mansquito, remember? (laughs) Which was like the the fly sort of, but with a mosquito. Right. Which was just hilarious because the the costume was so bad. Yeah, it looks like it looked like it belonged in a porno set. Like I was half convinced they were shooting pornos and then cutting out the sex and putting them on TV. Like yeah. it was just they were so bad. Mm. Yeah, so just I'm just really happy that sci-fi is going in the right direction again. Yeah, yeah, that's really good news. That sci-fi is back to being about sci-fi. Now they just got to change the name back. Yeah, that would be a, a good step. But you know, I'll take this. This is like a, a good faith effort on their part to go back to doing sci-fi shows. It's better than Marcel's Quantum Kitchen. Yeah. And I guess there's there's more exciting pilot news, actually, that uh, I think, Sam, you brought up before. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek is... So there, there's a show, Star Trek Renegades, I guess. Um, it actually just got a trailer drop for it a couple of days ago. And uh, it's basically... It takes place after Voyager gets back to the uh, the, the, the Alpha... They're in the Alpha Quadrant, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. After it gets back to the Alpha Quadrant, takes place years later, and uh, basically the people who are supplying, who supply dilithium crystals to everyone have kind of been disappearing, I guess, and space-time starts folding around 
around everyone. So basically a lot of universes and various planets are becoming isolated. So what happens is uh, Tuvok, who was made the head of Section 13, which if you don't know is the autonomous, uh, I guess, intelligence unit for the Federation. Section 31. Section 31, thank you. Um, 13. <laughs> um, so he's made a head, he's made head of the, or he was head of them. So he has to get a group of people together who are quote unquote renegades, people who wouldn't really look so good in the uniforms, I guess, considering their ethics aren't up to what the Federation would like. And they have to go basically figure out what's going on, why this is, where the lithium crystal people have gone and why space time is starting to fold around them. And also, uh, Chekhov is from the original series is supposed to also be making an appearance as like an admiral in it as well. So it's cool. Hey, he yeah. Found the guy's wish in the hospital. He's Pavel Chekhov admiral. <laughs> so he's, uh, so I saw it on IO nine. Um, I'm sure you can find it. If you just type in Star Trek renegades, um, trailer, you'll see it, it looks CGI looks good on it. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's something of an interesting story. I, li- I always love, I feel like a Star Trek series really gets more credibility once you have some of the alums from the other shows getting into it. And I think since we got that here, it's, it has a good possibility of being a decent show. I think it, it looks like it's an interesting uh, concept. And you're right, it does have a lot of alums and it's got Robert Ricardo in there too, the yeah. Apollo Doctor for everybody who's not familiar with him. About that, uh, shit. There's somebody else in here. Oh yeah, there, there's it's two, just, two random fucking things in here. Um, who is it? One is that uh, I think uh, what's his face, the guy Corin Nemec, the guy who played Jonas Quinn, is in there, and uh, Grant Imahara, who uh, was one of the original like little bitch team on MythBusters. <laughs> really, I, I think that's the guy's same name. Yeah. Uh, Grant Imahara, that's the guy. So he's somehow going to be a crew member. I did see Jonas Quinn. It looked like he was a captain. Uh, yeah, I think he's... That's what I don't get, because I just looked up the credits, and there's two people credited as captains. Well, maybe so, he has some other smaller ship or something. I'm thinking that, or it's going to be like he's around for the, the first episode, mm. or first couple, then he dies and somebody else takes over. Hmm. Maybe some shit like that. I don't know. I'm just worried that this might go a little bit in the direction, too far in the direction that like Rick Berman took Deep Space Nine, hmm. where it's all oh, the Federation is isn't perfect and there's all this bad shit going on, and I I'm afraid it's going to be like that parody episode of Stargate SG One, where they had the the extreme teen version of Stargate. For one of the ideas, <laughs> wormhole extreme. Well, when when Martin's making them all read the scripts and shit for the movie plot. Yeah, yeah, and one of them is like the extreme teen Stargate, where everybody is like a model and they're listening to rock music while they're blowing up the gold ship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just hoping that's not going to be like mm, Star Trek. Like, ah, oh, we're going to like inject drugs in the Jeffries tubes, and ah, oh, you you raped me 15 years ago, and I can never forgive you, and you're a murderer, but we need you on the crew because you're the best man for the job, and it's like. <laughs> Well, they already did that in Voyager, so... Yeah, I mean, that, that shit in Voyager really annoyed me, where it's like, oh, you're you're evil, and you did all this bad stuff, but you're the best man for the job. It's like, fuck you, go out in the airlock. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll I, I'm looking at their site here, and I wasn't familiar with this bef- before. I, I just watched the trailer while you guys were talking about it. <laughs> um, 
And it seems like they've got almost this completed film ready to go and they want to hopefully get it picked up by CBS, like at least have CBS look at it and maybe option it for future production. Which would be cool. Yeah, that seems like what they're going for. So I wish them luck because the state of Star Trek, I mean, in my opinion, it can't get any worse right now. Yeah, Yeah, as much as the best man for the job extreme 80s movie plot thing worries me i i will take it over more of jj trek yeah especially for those of you who are listening to uh, the last episode i think you know our feelings about jj trek <laughs> pretty clear particularly about star trek into darkness uh, and um i think that's that's all the new shows and stuff do you guys have anything else uh no i thought wasn't there there was uh that other show you want to bring up, Dark Tower. Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me, Sam. No problem. I, I realize that this is only like quasi-sci-fi. Stephen uh, King's universe is a little wonky, but uh, Dark Tower is inexplicably getting a film and a TV show, possibly, which you know sounds great, but the story is so long and complex, I don't see how you can fit it into like a maximum three-hour time slot for a movie. Yeah, Stephen King movie adaptations have a really spotty record. Right, and and it's a Stephen King movie adaptation, so there's another problem. And a TV show, like, I just don't know if you can tell the Dark Tower story on network TV. This seems like something that should have been an HBO miniseries. Yeah, that he and it's it's kind of weird because his novels are always so expansive, and they seem to just go on and on and on in terms of character depth and development. And then when they try to adapt them into movies and miniseries, it's really hard to get all that in. And a lot of times the product ends up really, really bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one way to describe it. <laughs> For those of you who have seen the Shining miniseries. Uh, oh, I never saw that. Yeah, it was, it, it was supposed to be a more faithful adaptation than uh, the Stanley Kubrick movie. And it was just so bad. I mean, I watched Jack Nicholson any day. Over that shit. There was what's the other one? Um the the Tommy Knockers, the one with Jimmy Smith's in it. Oh yeah, yeah. That was uh was cringeworthy. Yeah, they're all only the one with I think the it is alright. Yeah, that I think that one was actually done pretty well. Mm. And uh but the movies, I mean I can't really name one of his movies off the top of my head that is you know, sci-fi related and truly good because although he was behind the story for like Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile, those have nothing to do with sci-fi. No, unfortunately not. As it's also going to be at Sony, which I, I another it's troubling. I mean, considering what they've been doing the last couple of years and the products that have come out of that studio. Well, and. Remember, I think, was it a couple years ago, they did the TV adaptation of Under the Dome? Yeah. And that had, apparently that had like a good first, I didn't watch it, but I did read the book, and that had a first good season, but it quickly went off the rails, according to a lot of people. You know, I watched that, are you talking about the more recent remake of it, or the older one, or was there an older, the older one that you're referring to? No, there's this... This is the only one the only, under um, the dome they've done. Yeah, I, I watched the first season, and even by like the last episode, it got a little ridiculous, and I, I quickly gave up on it. 
So yeah, it's uh, hopefully we'll see. I guess we'll uh, do. Do you want to quickly give a little synopsis? Because I I won't lie, I was not familiar with the series or the subject matter. I had to like do a quick Google of it. Yeah. So under the dome, the whole basic story is that these people in a small town in Maine suddenly this huge invisible force field dome comes down over their town and they have to figure out not only how to survive within the dome, but how to get out of the dome or break it. And the whole, the book is huge. It's like over a thousand pages and it just chronicles all the stuff that goes on inside the dome and the characters attempts to thwart the dome or find out who created the dome and then dealing with all the crap that people do when you know, they're in a state of anarchy, basically. Yeah. So, you know, if you like Stephen King books, I think it's a good one to pick up. It's just you really have to be invested in it before you commit to it because it's long. We'll have to see. Yeah. All right, I think that's all the sci-fi news. Yeah, that's all the, the I guess, sci-fi content news, but there, I guess, now a larger uh, sci-fi meta discussion mm. about the genre itself. Um, I don't know if any of you listeners are familiar with the Hugo Awards, but it's kind of like... You guys let's, let's just assume they are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just, I guess, as a quick... It's, it's like the Oscars for sci-fi. Well... I would disagree with that. I think that the Nebula Awards are like the Academy Awards, and then Hugo is like people's choice. It's an award for sci-fi that people vote on based on nominations for work that goes in there. Okay. You're the one who wanted to assume people were familiar with it. So it's 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 something that people are nominated for, and then there's you know a general balloting process to decide you know who has the best sci-fi story about this who has the best adapted this side of the other it's it's a you know a variety of uh things in there basically all honoring people who work in sci-fi and write sci-fi stuff now now well grant why don't you explain what the the controversy surrounding the hugo awards is okay so it's pretty simple so last year the hugo award winners were more diverse than they usually are so they had a slate of female and minority writers and a lot of them won Uh, a lot of the books and intellectual properties that were presented there uh, they were about racial prejudice injustice uh, a lot of social issues and of course there was a big backlash to that and this year there was an organized effort by a group called sad puppies led by a couple, uh, I think, libertarian-leaning sci-fi writers, got together and basically conspired to get people to vote for a, a Sad Puppies-approved slate of candidates. So basically, the people writing the stuff that they thought was worthy of a Hugo Award, and then, you know, it only costs $40 to become, like, a member of the Hugo voting populace because you get an admission to uh, Worldcon where the Hugo's, Hugo Awards are given out. And so they got a bunch of people basically to spend $40, sign up, and vote for their approved candidates, which means that the 2015 slate for the Hugo Awards is basically composed of candidates um, recommended by these sad puppy guys. 
And so there's been a huge fight going on, a lot very similar to this Gamergate thing, be, between the sad puppies people who tend to be more libertarian, right-leaning sci-fi people, and what they refer to as the SJWs, or social justice warriors on the other side, whom they accuse of rigging the process in years past to get minority and female writers on the slate whose works didn't merit that kind of recognition. So that's the issue that's been going on with that right now. And I gotta say, I don't really think it's going to amount to anything for real sci-fi fans out there because the Hugo and the Nebula Awards are already kind of irrelevant to people. I mean, like I said, it's basically the People's Choice Award. Uh, it's The process is very easy to game. So, I mean, like, people have been doing this for decades. Like, the Church of Scientology did it in the 80s with uh, L. Ron Hubbard books, and they tried to get L. Ron Hubbard on the slate, and they actually succeeded, although uh, his works didn't win anything when they were manipulating those. Because they suck. Right, but they were doing it. Um, you know, I'm sure it's been done in years past, too, more recently. And, you know, I have no doubt that people in years past were doing, you know, there was an active campaign to get, like, certain writers because of, you know, who they were on the slate. And this sad puppy thing, it's not really any different to me, it just makes the Hugos even more of a joke, makes them even less of a source of information that I will go to to learn about the sci-fi that I want to watch and read. Mm. And I think it's just been a long time coming. I think the only way out of this for them is to reform how the voting process is done, to either put it in the hands of some reputable people or make it so that you can't just have a bunch of people sign up as scabs, basically, and come in and hijack the process. Mm. Yeah, I think that maybe they should uh, reform the voting process so it's kind of like the Academy for the Academy Awards, but instead of just letting in everybody into the Academy as they do, maybe it should be something like you have to have you know sold over a million copies of your book that's being nominated or something like that. Huh. To... I don't know, to prove that you are somebody who has not written a shitty, awful piece of writing with some sort of agenda, be it left or right-leaning, or just, you know, make it so that if you're going to have a people's choice type of word that the people have actually chosen and voted with their money by saying your story is worth buying, as opposed to people like who will just write, I don't know what you call it, some kind of high-minded, empty piece of writing that just uh, pushes a bunch of social buttons in an effort to be provocateurs and get their, their votes that way because their piece is, you know, bold or brave or whatever. Uh, I have to say, speaking as a consumer of sci-fi, I don't really care what a bunch of people think, you know, as bold or brave doesn't matter to me. I'll make up my own mind. So I I don't even think these awards are relevant at all. Actually, I I reverse myself. I'd say just stop doing it. No one cares. Yeah. I think they, I think they do it. You know, because it's a tradition, like so many things that all of us do or participate in, it's a tradition. So, I mean, it's going to go on, and they're going to have to figure out some way to address this swiftly, or they're just going to, the thing's going to go off the rails completely. But the the thing with these sad puppies, guys, is that a lot of them seem to be, you know, fans of really old, hardcore sci-fi, or, you know, so they say, like, a lot of them, I've read their... I've read their message boards and things, and a lot of them say, like, yeah, you know, we don't want to read about things like, 
you know, racial prejudice and stuff like that. And we don't want to read about how women are mistreated or something. And we would like to read stories about cool spaceships and stuff like that. And, you know, military science fiction. And I understand their frustration with a lot of high culture and art and the way it seems to push certain ideas and has been pushing a lot of ideas in recent years. But I really don't understand their argument about, yeah, I want to, because, you know, read stuff about cool spaceships because the classic sci-fi that they're talking about, I don't think anybody reads like a Robert Heinlein book and comes away saying like, oh, you know, that wasn't at all preachy about anything. I mean, even Starship Troopers, which is like the granddaddy of military sci-fi, right? I mean, it's basically a treatise on why he thinks, uh, you know, only veterans should be allowed to vote in a democratic society, right? Yeah. And it's, yeah, so... It's got a lot of other messages in it, too. Yeah, but it's, however you want to interpret it, it's very political, it's very outspoken. I mean, you read another book of his, like, A Stranger in a Strange Land. I mean, that's all about, like, sexual politics and stuff, and how can you not read that and come away with uh, a new viewpoint on that, or at least thinking about it? I mean, I just think these guys are missing the point in that, you know, a lot of these old-time sci-fi writers that they claim to revere, those guys were tackling the same issues that the people they're complaining about now are... And I don't, it seems very reactionary. I don't think they've thought this through very well. I think the only good point they have in this whole argument is that you shouldn't just be nominated for an award or have your book pushed because of who you are. Like some of those books on last year's winner's uh, slate, I mean, maybe they didn't deserve to be there. I don't really know. But I have read a little bit of the one that... Uh, won Best Novel last year, Ancillary Justice, and I think is a great book so far. And it definitely deserved to win, but they're upset because they thought that it wasn't worthy, probably because they thought that there was an agenda to push a woman to be the Best Novel Award winner. And I just, it kind of sounds like bullshit to me. Yeah, I'm I'm just distrust of, I, I don't trust the whole process, I have to say. I think that they, I agree they haven't probably thought about the science fiction they claim to love, you know, even if you think of something that's relatively like popcorn science fiction to them, like Star Trek, that still the 60s series had so much to do with social issues. I don't know if you can just say that you're going to discount sci-fi on the basis that it's pushing an agenda. But after the the controversy with the 12 Years a Slave voting thing, where all those Academy members admitted they hadn't even seen the movie, but they just voted for it because it had to be good. Mm because everybody else said it was good and it was about like this horrible thing that happened to a minority that they they felt compelled to vote for it without even seeing it. I'm just really concerned that in kind of our, our present culture where if you don't toe the line on the, shall we say, progressive side of things, you're assumed to have some sort of animus immediately and you're assumed to be always acting in bad faith. So it's best if your voice is drowned out and quelled by whoever the case may be you're speaking against. So I'm just concerned that if science fiction has always been historically a tool to talk about culture and a tool to explore change and discuss issues and maybe kind of a metaphorical way so as not to stoke people's ire directly, introducing even a smidge of the identity politics into it, I think, dilutes the power of science fiction 
by saying, well, okay, it's no longer so much about your story. It's now more about, you know, quote unquote, your story. Like, oh, you know, you were an author who grew up in a tin roof shack and you didn't have shoes until you were 10. Your novel's the best. It is. Yeah. And that, that's where I think the Sad Puppies guys, they lose the argument for me because they had a chance to incite people to make it about the writing and the stories again. They could have gone out and said to the people that were following them, hey, you know, you guys need to evaluate each piece of science fiction that's on the slate as science fiction, not as a product of the person who wrote it, right? It's yeah. not about them. Like, you shouldn't even think about the author. You should just evaluate the story. But instead of doing that, they decided, you know, hey, I'm going to go ahead and attack the authors. Right. It's kind of stupid. They, they fell into the trap they were trying to avoid, saying that, like, it shouldn't be about the authors, but fuck the authors, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I agree. There are a lot of people who win awards who shouldn't win them, and it's solely on the basis of people, you know, think that there's something compelling about their personal narrative, and maybe their work actually sucks. Mm. But if you're going to go ahead and say that you shouldn't judge people, <coughs> Lena Dunham, <coughs> it seems like if you're going to say that, you know, you shouldn't uh, pay attention to people based on their narrative, but then, you know, these people are frauds. Look at them lying about their own lives and everything, trying to garner sympathy to get on the voting slate. You sort of made your, your opponent's argument for them, I think. Yeah. But I, what do you think, Sam? I know Grant and I have been talking about this a lot. Uh, I kind of I kinda like what you're saying before. I almost wonder if they're kind of obsolete at this point when we have the internet is so over expansive and everything and we have this feels like award shows in general are kind of a little obsolete when you can know if things are good or not just on the click of a button or seeing how how many times something is viewed or whatnot i guess really the only reason they keep these things around are kind of just some it, it's nice to get an award for a piece of writing and whatnot but i really if you're going to give an award for piece of writing here and everything then yeah I, I have a hard time thinking it's like that you got to consider the author situation you're supposed to be going off the story the quality of the story and not you know whatever struggles the author had to go there otherwise you're turning it into like i don't know like that thing cnn used to do, cnn heroes or whatever like let's look at these personal stories of people and you know i'm sure some of those people were great people and everything not to knock it but that's not what the award show is supposed to be about it's supposed to be about a good science fiction story. And so I think, you know, it's supposed to be the cream was the cream rises to the top or whatever. The best story should win, not, you know, determining based on the author's personal life or anything like that. But again, I think they're just kind of, they are kind of silly at this point when you have all these better ways to measure whether or not people like it or how many people like things like that. Yeah. And the sad part, that was something the sad puppy people were talking about is that how the uh, the consumer sci-fi that they adore is something that's being ignored in uh, contemporary awards politics, I guess, and that was going towards more like literary sci-fi. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, first of all, what does literary mean exactly? I mean, let's they can define that. If it's if it's more like high minded preachy stuff, then okay, I understand that. Um, I, I can see that argument a little bit, but at the same time, you know, like the Avengers won best movie at the Hugo's like a couple years ago, and that's mm. like the epitome of like a mass market consumer property. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get more mainstream than Marvel's The Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> so again, like weird argument and it's not going to affect how I consume sci-fi. I'm just, I'm going to seek it out for myself. You just have to, there's so much out there. You guys are both right. And that's because it's your responsibility as a reader. You kind of have to like wade through all the shit to find the gems. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think that I guess awards processes are maybe a little irrelevant overall now. Yeah. That like, I mean, winning an Oscar, winning a Hugo, winning a Nebula, winning an Emmy, just something you put on the DVD box or the book back now. Like, Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the awards people argue that, oh, well, you know, we're gatekeepers. We're the curators because there's so much out there. We have to tell you what's good. Well, you know, that argument falls apart when you realize that your award system is pretty easily rigged. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, your award system is easy to game and your, your criteria are kind of nebulous. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That was an unintentional pun. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like, why? What? Why are you the gatekeeper? Like, what? What about your awards process is more special than like me reading a New York Times book review or reading the Wikipedia plot summary to get a sense of what's going on? Like, what gives you the authority? Yeah. Well, I mean, my only regret with this whole politicization of these awards is that it just it ghettoizes sci-fi even more. Like the, the people who write the New York times book reviews, like they're never going to respect sci-fi. It's always going to be shit to them because it's not high minded or ivory tower enough. And I mean, you guys can feel free to disagree with me on this, but that's how I've always felt about like, you know, the New York literary circle in terms of how they view things like horror and sci-fi genre fiction in general. I mean, they don't think it's worthy of attention, but it clearly resonates with a whole lot of people out there, and it clearly has something to say with big issues. And, you know, just like commenting on the social fabric of our of our country and our world, I mean, I think sci-fi does a lot of that very well, that you can't do in a more contemporary, more literary novel, because it's set in the present world. Like sci-fi inoculates people from criticism because it sets things in a faraway place, right? So you can have like controversial ideas. And I just think they'll never, they'll never respect it though. And this just makes that worse. Yeah. Sure. They, they won't respect it maybe because from, from their point of view, sci-fi is, um, it doesn't have, I guess the same, impact to them quote unquote like gravitas yeah a lot of the books you see that are on the new york times bestsellers list are like that are given a very glowing review by their book reviewing section or it's really generally not something that is fictional outside of like a, a a fictional character set in the real world like the the grounding is almost always the real world and if they ever come around to saying that oh this was a good book or something like that it's only because the book has already sold you know 10 million copies like they yeah. give a good review to George R.R. R. Martin's latest Game of Thrones whole deal he put out a few years ago. But I think that's only because it was such a juggernaut at that point in time. It looked like real assholes saying it was bad or ignoring it. Right. And, you know, a good example, I think, recently is uh, when the National Book Awards, uh, I believe that there there was a book that was, that was nominated called um, Station Eleven by, I think her name's like Emily St. John something. Mm. 
and I haven't read it, but it was a post-apocalyptic story. So it was like this virus wipes out humanity. So, you know, there is like a dystopian sci-fi element there and it was, it was described as such in all the the reviews, but I think it, it got there because it was recognized as literary. And yet a lot of reviews and a lot of people said that, wow, like this thing was so boring, so preachy that how, how could I get through this? And, you know, I'm thinking, Okay, virus destroys like 99% of humanity. Uh, there was already a, like a fantasy sci-fi mashup book of that about 30 years ago. It was called The Stand. Uh, you can still buy it. Uh, Stephen King wrote it, and it was phenomenal. It was, it was awesome. And yet... And yet it's not regarded very well. Right, outside, you know, in mass culture... People love it and recognize it as a good book, but inside like the literary circle, it's not regarded as such. It's not literary in any sense, right? I mean, I remember these people, uh, like 2004, they gave Stephen King the national, like um, like a lifetime achievement thing for the National Book Awards. And uh, he was mocked because a lot of people in those circles thought that, oh God, like, you know, this guy writes like basically dime novel pieces of shit. Like how could we give him an award? And so yeah. the sad puppies thing of the Hugos, I just think that strengthens their argument. unfortunately I wish these sad puppy guys would kind of think a little bigger and see the big picture. Like, Oh, we're just like demeaning our own genre even more in the face of the people who for, you know, better or worse, legitimize what's a good novel. What's a good TV show. What's a good media property in our society. Mm. I just I, yes. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I guess I just sympathize them with them in a little bit because although I think that they're doing a disservice to science fiction overall, they might be, I guess, afraid that the same people who have already pushed sci-fi to the the fringes have now decided that in its present state it's unacceptable, so it needs to be brought in line with more of the literary circle where the story maybe doesn't have to actually be compelling. It just has to push the correct buttons or have the, the right ticks checked off. So mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I understand their frustration that they, they reject the established, you know, literary criticism uh, cadre, but then they see those same people and those same kind of ideas and those same judgments being applied to sci-fi now. That, right, because there weren't enough minority checkboxes ticked off in their novels. Right, maybe they're now <laughs> afraid that even the, the whole genre, even the people who claim to detest it, just can't stand the fact that it exists like it does, so they need to bring it in line with what they consider to be good and, and what they consider to be like, you know, the criteria for saying the novel's worth reading. Yeah, I, I think Sam's right that time and death are going to solve all of these problems because yeah just the the growth of internet culture it's it's going to wash away the authority of not only the the literary elite who decide that sci-fi is you know crappy genre stuff that really serious people shouldn't read what's well, it's children's stuff it's always right. written it's always treated like it's a, a distraction for children yeah yeah and they're going to be washed away by the internet culture and you know, that kind of stuff. And also the, you know, like the Hugo awards are going to become increasingly irrelevant. 
But I think that's even evident, like in just the people who are profiled by the the current literary elites, like the the, the New York Times had a big Toni Morrison profile this week. Like I only read, I think, two of her books because I was forced to in high school. I thought they were horrible, and I think that most of her readership are probably either you know very small groups of people who are either being forced to read them in school, or you know the two percent of the population who actually likes what she writes, but. The literary criticism circle loves her. New York Times thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread, but I think the rest of us kind of say, okay, well, this whole stream of consciousness novel thing is a little weird. I'm I'm just not into it. Mm. Well, I don't think I can follow that up with anything better. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We're going to be back uh, next Sunday, hopefully with Sam again for episode 12, and we'll see you guys then. Have a good one.